Sup, you beautiful bastards. Welcome back to The Philip DeFranco Show. It is Tuesday, January 26th, 2021. Hit that like button, otherwise we'll punch you in the throat. And let's just jump into the news of the day so you can get back to yours. And where we'll start off today is with the biggest viewer requested story of the day, which is around Kellyanne Conway. Also, for transparency's sake, even before this story was a thing, I personally think that Kellyanne Conway is horrible. Like, I think she's a genuinely horrible human being. A professional liar and manipulator whose harm on humanity is not gonna be fully understood until historians take another look. But that is in relation to Kellyanne Conway and her job, and this first story is more about Kellyanne messy mom Conway. So on Monday, Kellyanne Conway, the ex-counselor to former President Trump, allegedly posted a topless photo of what appears to be her 16-year-old daughter, Claudia. That photo, which was posted as a fleet on Twitter, has since been deleted. However, before its deletion, it was easily accessible to all of Twitter. And even now, because of course the internet is forever, it still exists in the form of screen captures. And yesterday evening, we also saw Claudia herself talking on TikTok to confirm that the picture was in fact of her. That's real, and so here's what I guess happened. The picture's from months ago, and I'm assuming that when my mom took my phone, um... Anytime she's taken it, because she takes it all the time, she took a picture of that. So that was on her phone. Um, and I guess she accidentally posted it or somebody hacked her, but nobody ever, nobody would ever have any photo like that ever. So Kellyanne, you're going to Jail. Claudia also going on to say that she never sent that photo to anyone, that she believes Kellyanne kept it so one day she could use it against her. And so with all this, many online have accused Kellyanne of posting CP. Many also reigniting conversations of emancipation for Claudia, something that Claudia unsuccessfully pushed for last year. Notably, all of this is coming after last week when Claudia posted now deleted TikToks that appear to show Kellyanne physically and verbally abusing her. Now, as far as how Kellyanne has responded to these accusations, this morning the New York Post reportedly reached out to her by phone where she said, we have no comment. Also noting that she was sitting here with Claudia, according to Variety, Twitter is also investigating the matter. Reportedly, a representative for the New Jersey Department of Children and Families also said that they're looking into all the concerns around the incident. Representative for the Alpine Police Department saying, we know what's going on with the Kellyanne situation, but adding, I cannot release anything to you. And I mean, I, don't, I have no idea what's gonna happen here. According to Claudia in other videos, she said that the police and Child Protective Services have arrived at her house, but nothing's really happened from those visits. Including, I mean, last night you had YouTuber Tana Mojo live streaming a FaceTime call with Claudia on Instagram. You end up seeing this confrontation between Kellyanne and Claudia. Around the end of the phone call, you end up seeing someone that appears to be a police officer showing up to speak with the family. And then today you had Claudia posting a series of TikToks. Notably here, her tone is completely different. And in these, she says, This isn't forced. This is coming completely from me, Claudia. Um, I have faith and I know that my mother would never put something like that on the internet as well as me. We would never do that. My mom and I, we fight like mothers and daughters, but we also love like mothers and daughters and I do love her. I will be taking a break from social media um, because we are really tired of being headlines. So you also had a number of people pointing out recently that Claudia had said that she would not leave social media on her own accord. So because of that, many people think that in fact she was forced to record this video. But uh, for now, we, we have to kind of just wait and see, but I I, am, I will say I am surprised if nothing happens. I know that one of the things Claudia has repeated in the past is that her parents are just too powerful, but also at the same time, if she is telling the truth that in addition to all of the stuff that we're just now seeing, that she has hours and hours of footage of what could only be described as mistreatment, how she would still be stuck there. But do not mistake this as me believing that Claudia is lying about everything with her mom, because as I said, and this is a bias, I believe that Kellyanne Conway is one of the worst people in the world, so I believe that she is capable 
of any amount of horrible things. But yeah, I mean, with this story, I really would love to know your thoughts. Like, what do you think is happening? What do you think should happen here? Let me know what you're thinking and why in those comments down below, whether this is a new story for you or this is something that you've been kind of, kind of buying for a while. Then, in other news around parents, so we should talk about an interview between Tyler Ninja Blevins and a reporter from the New York Times reigniting a conversation about streamers' responsibility to hold audiences accountable. Ninja, if you don't know, is a famed and massive streamer. And in this interview, the reporter starts off by noting that Blevins is watching for hours on end pretty much every day. And they ask Ninja how such a deeply unnatural activity affects him. With the Blevins saying that streaming makes you super self-conscious. You have to be the most sure person on the planet if you're going to get into this and not be completely torn apart. From there, the reporter asks Blevins if he thinks that toxic comments can be mitigated or if they're just intrinsically tied to gaming, to which Blevins says, I don't think it's gaming. I think it's internet culture. Your information and data are precious and should remain private. But it sucks that there are kids who can say racist things and be incredibly aggressive and threatening to women online and have zero repercussions. With Blevins going on to say that it all comes down to parenting, adding, here's another thing. How does a white kid know he has white privilege if his parents never teach him or doesn't talk about racism? If they're gaming and their first interaction with racism is one of their friends saying the N-word and they have no idea what it is, what if it was on my stream? Is it my job to have this conversation with this kid? No, because the first thing that's going on in my head is this kid is doing this on purpose to troll me. It's awful, but that's the first thing I think of. And so this interview, these statements, they blew up, became headlines of their own, but also leading to some backlash online where you had people saying things like, no, you're in a situation of privilege. You have a responsibility to do these things. However, we've also seen many people defending Blevins, noting that he's spoken up about issues of race in the past. Blevins' wife, Jessica, for example, saying he does his part. He just isn't holding a seminar on the topic. With Ninja himself also responding now, saying, it is not my job to sit down and make a video with all of my audiences and do a lesson on civil rights and how to not be a racist. Then, in other news about creators who have had to speak to their audiences about the N-word, uh, nailed that transition. Be the king of YouTube himself, PewDiePie, aka Felix, returning to YouTube following a two-week break. But the thing that has gotten a lot of attention is that over the weekend, he announced that he was going to do sort of a reverse face reveal, following in the steps of popular creators like Dream and Corpse Husband who use avatars to hide their real identity, with Felix joking that he was doing this only to stay relevant, also asking his fans to help him pick a face, and in two videos he posted yesterday, he officially unveiled two different virtual versions of himself. And the reaction has been mixed. Some kind of just jumping in on the joke, others confused, is this a real thing? Is this like the future of PewDiePie? Meanwhile, a number of people in the VTuber community have been uh, less receptive, with a number calling his fan base toxic, saying that they're worried about how this is going to affect the community at large. But like I said, the, the reaction has been mixed. Some also saying that PewDiePie doing this, it brings more eyes and awareness to this community. But also, to me, I, I still don't, I don't think it's a big deal when, when already established creators are doing this. I, I just don't. Right, there was similar backlash when Pokimane did this and honestly, I'm not against doing this for myself. If I could just face track from home with my own VTuber version of myself, I'd probably take this show to seven days a week. And to the people that are against others adopting this, uh, this this is kind of an all-consuming statement, but just because you did something first doesn't mean you get to gatekeep it from everyone else. Obviously not every situation is one-to-one. -one. You have cultural differences, respecting things, stuff like that. But when we're talking about this, it's just, it's such an overblown situation. And then in business entertainment news, we should definitely talk about the changing world of entertainment, specifically uh, TV subscriptions and cord cutting. And this because we're seeing reports and data come out saying that, you know, cord cutting, people canceling their TV subscriptions has actually slowed down during the pandemic, which does make sense. People have been stuck at home, probably more reliant on that media. But as I hope that you know, this moment in time is not forever, which is a hopeful note for your sanity, but a horrifying note 
for pay TV service. Because new forecasts are predicting that pay TV subscriptions will shrink 36% over the next five years. Which is huge. I mean, for comparison's sake, between 2015 to 2019, it only shrank 9.5%. And so with this, there are two main things that you should expect to see. Continual building and now a new wave of content specifically aimed at digital. And secondly, a potential fight over sports content. This because as uh, places like Axios have explained, with many major sports contracts set to expire in the next few years, analysts predict that the ultimate collapse of the cable TV model will happen when a tech or streaming company finally is granted rights to stream a major sports franchise. Also noting that AT&T's top executive, John Stanky, has considered dropping its exclusive rights to the NFL's Sunday ticket package from its DirecTV satellite service. And as far as what happens in the future, I mean, we're gonna have to wait and see, but I also wanted to do something a little bit different with this story, which is why this morning I polled you guys. Quick note, actual polling companies, there, there is a science to it. This is just kind of a community outreach, see what you guys think. You're consuming a news show on the internet, a majority of you on your phone, so there's already a lean to you. But still, it was eye-opening that only 14% of you have a TV subscription. With 8% saying you have one but plan on canceling, 28% saying you already canceled it, and 50% saying you never even had one. Which also makes me find myself agreeing with comments like this one, saying this feels like a generational thing. My parents still have cable, but I haven't had cable ever in my adult life. But also, comments kind of noting that maybe in the future we will see more bundling. With people noting that as the market becomes more saturated with all these streaming services, the cost is getting very close to that of a cable TV subscription. Then, in other business news, we had Norway slapping Grinder with a fine of 100 million kroner or 11.7 million US. And this for illegally giving private user details to advertising companies. With the Norwegian Data Protection Authority saying that the app gave user locations, tracking codes, and the app's name to at least five companies. And as the New York Times, which broke the story yesterday, explained this essentially tagged individuals as LGBTQ without their explicit consent. And in addition to this being a violation of European privacy laws, I mean, the authority is also concerned that it puts users who live in countries where consensual same-sex acts are illegal in danger. Now with all this, a Grindr spokesperson claims that the app does obtain legal consent, but the Norwegian Data Protection Authority says they do not believe that this consent is valid. This because users were forced to agree to the privacy policy in its entirety to use the app and were not specifically asked about sharing data with third parties. The group also claiming information about data sharing was not properly communicated with app users. And then, let's talk about our douchebags of the day. We have two today. 55-year-old Rodney Baker, who's the CEO and president of Great Canadian Gaming Corporation, which owns more than 20 casinos across Canada, and his wife, 32-year-old actress Ekaterina Baker. You know, the reason for this is in Canada, officials have been working hard to ramp up on COVID-19 vaccination. And in the Yukon Territory specifically, health workers have been giving priority to remote communities with elderly and high-risk populations as well as limited access to healthcare. One of those areas is Beaver Creek, which is home to many members of the White River First Nation. And so the reason these one percenters are our douchebags of the day they're in the news is they reportedly flew from Vancouver to White House, then chartering a private plane to this remote community where they then went to a mobile clinic where they claimed that they were new hires at a nearby hotel so they could get the Moderna vaccine. Now because of how small the population is there and the fact that after they got the vaccine, they just went straight back to the airport, uh, it raised some eyebrows. Because according to local news outlets, as far as their punishment, both individuals received two fines, one for failing to self-isolate and a second for failing to follow their signed declaration, adding up to $1,150 each, which you could otherwise just think of as rich people tax. When they flew a private jet to skip the line and get this vaccine, they're gonna care about $1,000. I mean, his annual compensation in 2019 was 10.6 million, right? Which is why we're seeing indigenous locals and leaders outraged, calling for a stiffer punishment. And sure, Rod Baker has resigned from his role at Great Canadian with a spokesperson for the company saying it has no tolerance for actions that run counter to the company's objectives and values. Though that company is also probably not uh, excited 
for this extra attention since they're currently also the subject of a separate money laundering probe. Then, in international news, we have protests, riots, people in power stepping down. And we'll start with the Netherlands, where for the third night in a row, Dutch police clashed with protesters and rioters in 10 cities across the country, including in major ones like Rotterdam, Amsterdam, and The Hague. All of that leading to 184 arrests. And as far as why people are protesting, reportedly the protests were sparked over frustrations at a 9 p.m. to 4.30 a.m. curfew that is supposed to stop the spread of the coronavirus. Are there a doubts among a lot of people about how effective this curfew is at stopping the spread, in addition, of course, to standard misinformation that we've seen regarding COVID-19. Also, last night there, a COVID-19 testing site was burnt to the ground, which is why I also have many Dutch shocked at the violence and looting, with mayors across the country vowing to introduce emergency measures that are supposed to help deal with the protests. And finally here, regarding the curfew itself, the government refused to budge on the issue, with the prime minister saying that when possible, the curfew would be the first safety measure to go, but also making it very clear that those riding over this were criminals and would be treated as such. Then we look to Israel, which is currently being rocked by widespread anti-lockdown protests from various ultra-Orthodox communities. You know, for months there, ultra-Orthodox members, officials, and lawmakers have attempted to get their insular communities exceptions from the lockdown rules, saying that they infringe on their customs. With things then really escalating when police began shutting down the religious schools, since all schools are supposed to be closed. And for the most ultra-Orthodox men, religious learning is a full-time commitment. And this weekend, what we ended up seeing was a notable spike of violence, including more clashes with police and even a bus driver being injured and his bus being burnt down near Tel Aviv. And you know, this community in particular shows this, this interesting dichotomy in Israel. Right? If you're unaware, Israel actually has become one of the fastest and most efficient nations to roll out a vaccination program. But you have a lot of Israelis angry because the ultra-Orthodox only make up 10% of the population, but represent 30% of infections and help spread the virus because they ignore the rules. As far as what happens from here, it is unclear in part because this community in particular is an important voting bloc for Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who is facing another election in March. However, in a statement on Sunday, he also made it clear that he expects all citizens of Israel to respect the safety guidelines, including the ultra-Orthodox. But especially when it comes to politicians, words are words and actions are actions. So we're gonna have to wait to see what happens here. And then we take a look to Italy, where the government is currently in shambles after Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte resigned today. So this all started two weeks ago when the Italia Viva party pulled out of the coalition government unless Conte would agree to a list of demands. This set off a series of votes of confidence that Giuseppe won, but he still didn't have a majority. And the problem of this lack of majority really showed up this week when lawmakers were split on an EU coronavirus spending bill. And so Conte gave his resignation to the president, who will now help with the negotiations and see if a new majority government can be formed with the current lawmakers. And if they fail to do so, that will result in snap elections to see if a new government can be formed. The move is also likely a political safety measure for Conte, since he's likely going to try to be prime minister again. But it's also a risky move because no election is guaranteed. The vote may not go his way. The new people, the new government may not decide to have him as prime minister. And unfortunately, while everyone waits, the EU coronavirus spending bill sits in administrative purgatory. And then finally, let's talk about the world of US politics. Starting with last night, you had the House delivering the impeachment article against former President Donald Trump, officially triggering the fourth impeachment trial in US history. The trial itself will start February 9th. Right now, key details are still being hashed out, including overall rules, schedule, and whether or not witnesses will be called. And as of right now, it is unclear what Trump's defense is gonna be, though it, it probably doesn't help that many of the pro-Trump rioters who have been arrested for their role in the attacks have said that they were just following orders from Trump. Uh, potentially more helpful for Trump is that unlike in the, the real world, uh, he has friends on the jury, right? That's ultimately one of the weirdest things about 
impeachment, right? Where, especially in really, really partisan times, we can go, okay, so here are the probably guaranteed votes here. Here are the guaranteed votes there. And so we know based off the likelihood, Democrats need to have 17 Republicans join them in voting to convict. And while sure, right now, Mitch McConnell has not been encouraging his party to reject the charges like he did the first time that Trump was impeached, it's not looking like the Democrats will have the numbers. I mean, just this afternoon when senators were officially sworn in for the proceedings, we saw Senator Rand Paul raising an objection about the constitutionality of impeaching a president who has already left office. And while the Senate killed that motion, only five Republicans voted with Democrats, but most significantly, McConnell was not one of them. And that was incredibly important because this expected objection was widely viewed as a critical test for how the proceedings will likely go down. So while the trial has not yet started, as of right now, it is not looking good for Democrats who want to convict Donald Trump. Also, regarding the Senate, we should talk about the news involving the power sharing deal. Notably here, Mitch McConnell has dropped his demand that Democrats vow to protect the filibuster as part of the power sharing agreement he and Chuck Schumer have been hashing out. Or as we talked about last week, negotiations between the two leaders and how the Senate will conduct day-to-day -day business with a 50-50 split in the Senate had stalled. This after McConnell had insisted that Schumer promise not to get rid of the legislative filibuster and Schumer refused. But that was unfamiliar in kind of the, the simplest terms. A filibuster is a Senate rule requiring at least 60 senators to vote to advance a given piece of legislation for a final vote. And many of the more progressive members in the Senate wanted to change the rules so a simple majority could advance legislation, arguing that it was necessary to move Biden's agenda forward. And while Schumer himself did not say whether or not he agreed with them, he did say he wanted to keep his options open. But also, it is important to note that McConnell has agreed to drop the demand after two Democratic senators, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, said that they would not vote to end the legislative filibuster. So unless something changes with those two, that all but assures that Schumer will not have enough votes to change the rule, or because they would need all 50 Democrats and Vice President Harris would be able to break the tie. And so with all of that in statements Monday night, both leaders signaled that they would now be moving forward to solidify a power sharing deal similar to the one put in place in 2001, which is the last time the Senate had a split of 50-50. You know, all of this is incredibly significant as far as the impacts down the road, uh, that's yet to be seen, but it, it's huge. And that's in addition to, you know, while this final deal was being worked out, the Senate was actually still technically operating under the rules of the last Congress session when the GOP was in charge. Meaning that even though both Harris and the two Democrats who won the Georgia runoffs were sworn in last week, Republicans still had control over key committees. But once a power sharing agreement has been solidified, Dems will take control of those powerful panels. But there's also a question of if the filibuster is still in place and these two Democrats will not move, what can they actually push through? And that is going to be a big what regarding, you know, what can actually be done thanks to Congress. But also for an election strategy standpoint, it may be effective if you can stop the Democrats from doing a lot of the things that they promised. In less than two years, you have the midterms coming up, which already historically, there is an expectation that the opposition party gains seats. It could hurt them there, but th there's also a lot of different layers that we'll talk about in the, in the weeks to come. And of course, like with any story that stood out to you today, I would love to know your thoughts in those comments down below. But uh, that is where I'm going to end today's show. Thank you as always for being a part of my daily dives into the news. If you missed the last show, click or tap right there. If you want the next show, hit that subscribe button. And of course, as always, I love yo faces and this has been news that matters for people that care. I'll see you tomorrow.